0: Chapter 13, beginning at verse 12 this morning. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come to gather together as your church and to worship you. And we pray, Father, that you would be pleased as we continue our worship today in your word. We thank you. For all that you are to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. The video that we watched just a few moments ago was from Cambodia, as you, as you heard. And we'll be showing some of these short little videos like that, sort of video updates uh, of different, various fields around the world so uh, this morning was Cambodia, and so we want to continue and pray for the Cambodian uh, people. There's uh, there's work going on there, but it is very very slow, as you would as you would see from the video this morning. <clears throat> now the last time we were the last time we were here last week we uh, we saw the. The humiliation of Christ as He washes His disciples' feet. Now there are several symbols that come out of this uh, foot washing that are revealed here in the Scripture. The first one of these is that this foot washing is an essential element of the humiliation of Christ pointing out that he made himself nothing on our behalf. Think of it for a moment. The king of the universe, the creator of all, is doing the work of the lowliest slave. Paul points that out in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, Yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He did not have to reach for it. He did not have to grasp at it. He didn't have to try to make it come true. It was true. He was God in the flesh. But he emptied himself... Taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This foot washing was just the first in a long string of humiliations that the Lord Jesus would go through on his way to the cross. Another symbol of his humiliation is the washing away of the physical filth, the dirt that was on the feet of his disciples, picturing the suffering that Christ endured to wash away the filth of sin. He would alone, by himself, on the cross, atone for sin and bear the guilt of his people, while at the same time, merit for them the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who guides their lives. It was a double a double blessing, in the washing away of sin and the sanctification of those whom he would call. John writes in chapter 14, verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The third thing we see here in the humiliation of this moment is that the Lord, performed by the Lord, was a lesson in humility, or we might say an example for us. So as we noted last time, one of the purposes of this was to teach his disciples the invaluable lessons of humiliation in the Christian life. If we do not come to understand that the Christian life is one of humiliation, then we have not become like Christ. Because He was humiliated to the nth degree. And of course, the eternal truths of justification, which is a one-time act of acquittal uh, on God's behalf, of the sinner and the daily cleansing of every believer through sanctification. You can never, hear me carefully, you can never separate justification, God's declaration of you being not guilty, to sanctification, which is the process of making you holy. You cannot separate them. They go together. And even though these truths are extremely important, they were not the primary lesson, the primary uh, reason for the washing of the disciples' feet. His main purpose was to show them that a life of following Christ is a life of humble and loving service. A life of it. Not just here and there but a life of service. They needed to see this lesson, and they needed to see it because they needed to learn how to apply humility to their lives. Someone has said that humility is this fleeting thing that when you think you've got it, you've lost it. And that's true. Pride and grabbing for first place never helped anyone. It lets people in need go neglected and wanting. Remember that Luke twenty two tells us they were they were arguing among themselves who would be the greatest. I think this speaks volumes to the independent American Christian who has lost or either failed to gain the simple basics of the Christian life of serving one another. That's why we're here. We are here to serve each other. And and that is to be done humbly. Not for show. Not for recognition, but just out of love for one another. I find it very interesting that the this is the very first thing that Jesus teaches his disciples, and that's how to serve each other. He taught them not by declaration only, but... Also by his deeds. All these disciples had known prior to this was what they saw in the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders. Jesus exposed their deeds in Matthew chapter 23. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Notice there in verses 1, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7, What Jesus says about the Pharisees. And what you have here is a direct opposite of Christ juxtaposed against the Pharisees. Notice what he says. Verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples... The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds, here it is, to be seen by others. If that's why we do what we do, there's no reward. There's, and, and we're being disobedient to our Lord. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces, they love to be called rabbi by others. I want you to notice the gentle spirit that Jesus uses to teach his disciples these important uh, lessons on humility, being humble, having loving service. To each other. Remember that this is not a public time of teaching. Jesus is alone with his disciples. He is teaching his own, and his own, as his own, we are being taught as well. When was the last time? that you humbled yourself and took of of your valuable time or of your money just to help someone that you knew was in need. Also, we can see that in correcting the disciples' thinking, Jesus never scolds them and He never shames them. He didn't say, what is the matter with you guys? I'm so disappointed in you. Well, there were times when Jesus said things like that. How long am I going to have to suffer with you? But here, he did not scold them. This is is a rebuke, certainly. But it is a silent rebuke. By now, they will have begun to get the message that he was trying to relate. It is as though, he says, the past is bad enough. We'll say nothing further about the past. For now, let's look to the future and copy my example. The rebuke is implied in his statement. Do you understand what I've done to you? Have you figured it out? It is concealed in words of loving, positive exhortation and gentleness. Now some have tried to make this section in John 13 uh, say or that, is, that this is another church ordinance, like that of baptism or the Lord's Supper. If that were so, I think we would see all through Scripture uh, where the disciples or, and uh, the apostles were constantly having uh, foot-washing services or in their services. We don't see that. Jesus is simply teaching them by way of example. They need to maintain an attitude of humility so that they can serve each other. When pride puffs us up, we're not in a frame of mind to serve anybody except ourselves. And we are our own worst enemies. It is an inner motivation of the heart, a matter of the heart. It is not an outward right to be observed. Now, Jesus explains to them in verse 16 the basis of his reasoning. They called him teacher and Lord because that's what he was. But he wants them to to recognize the inner qualities of his life. What Jesus is saying here is, if I, your master, have played the role of a slave and done this to you, then you who are my slaves should become slaves to one another. Well, that puts it into perspective, doesn't it? When was the last time you saw yourself as a slave? If you know Christ and you're a believer and you're following Christ, you are one. You're His slave. But more than that, and off of that, as a result of that, you are a slave to others. This role of slave aids the believer as they, believers as they gather and live each, with each other. In Christ. And as they love each other in Christ. It teaches us in every possible way to assist each other in attaining the grace of being a slave of Christ. Your service to others, to other believers, is helps teach them what it looks like to become a slave of Christ as well. Paul, says, Paul speaks of this in Romans 12. By the way, slavery, being a slave, is not a natural thing. Even the Apostle Paul called himself a slave of Christ. Romans chapter 12, he says this in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say, To every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now listen to that. He said, the grace given to me, Paul, I, I started, I'm the first one to say, I'm a slave of Christ. And I'll become your slave for Christ. He goes on. He's not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. God has assigned to you in Christ a measure of faith that allows you to humbly become a slave for others. What would it look like if we all practiced that daily? You see, the problem is we've, we have so much here in this country that we don't, we don't think about want and deep need. One of the things that I noticed when I was in Indonesia, particularly in the in the village, was how how these people will will give to others and they, out of their poverty they'd have nothing. And when I met Johan um, in Indonesia, we were at the conference uh Johan from Agape, Agape home there he um we would sit together and eat and I would I would uh say I would drink half of my cup of coffee and he'd just get up and take my cup and go and fill it if I if I pushed my chair back he he would say he would say oh what what can I get you just just so ready to give of himself in those little things that I constantly do for myself all the time. It is not natural to to have the attitudes of a slave. It means making ourselves lower than those around us. It means thinking less of ourselves and more about the good of others around us. Now, I'm talking about in the Christian framework, among brothers and sisters in Christ. And certainly we're, certainly we're to do good to people out in the world. That's, that's a given. But service to one another. God has granted us the grace of serving each other. But we must exercise that grace. Second thing it teaches us is that to have the attitude of serving one another raises opportunities to serve. You began to, when you begin to think like a slave, you begin to see things like a slave. You begin to see needs, things that you can do to help, things that you can do to, to lift up someone else. If we don't have the attitude of serving, we will not be looking for the opportunities to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, this is the attitude or the activity that is within the Christian family. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. So then, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. There you are. Everyone. Your next door neighbor needs something. And you're there to help. I have to say, we, we have really good neighbors uh, that have lived next to us over, over these years. And we uh, we help them; they help us. A lot of times, I'd get up on a cold winter morning, and my my driveway would be plowed, and I would do the same on on at times for them, and vice versa. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about in the Christian family, in the church. Listen to what he says. If we had. So as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially them. We're to care for our aging parents. We're to care for the poor and the orphans and the widows who are widows indeed. Those who have no help from family we should open our homes to the lonely. We should take a back seat in our Christian gatherings so that somebody else might be honored. There's also the symbolic picture here of those who serve by helping someone who has sinned. Paul speaks of this in Galatians chapter 6. So how do we wash the feet of those who? Who have fallen into some sin. Brothers. If anyone is caught in a transgression. You who are spiritual. Should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because you need to keep watch on yourself. So that you too. Lest you too are tempted. Gentleness. Paul expresses the same attitude that Jesus had when he gently rebuked his disciples here in John 13. The picture of what he had done is, is in their, their minds. Christ himself is the example. Paul expresses this by using the word Gentleness. In Galatians 6.1. It means mild. Or even tempered. Harry Ironside suggests. That if we're going to wash another's feet. Then we need to be careful. We ought to be careful of the temperature of the water. You wouldn't bring a bowl of boiling water. And and. Tell someone to place your feet in here. Neither would you bring ice water, although some may prefer that. No, it would, be, it would be soothing. It would be tepid. It would be room temperature. It would be warm to the touch. It would be soothing and easy to clean. Race Edmonds said in his commentary that some people try to wash with no water at all. Scraping scraping the skin from the foot. This is not the idea of gentleness. The reason it's so that this is so important is because Christ himself gives us the example. It is kind and gentle and lowly service to His own. If you want to be like Christ, you have to understand that He took upon Himself the lowly tasks. And He taught His servants with tenderness. And He told them to do the same. We must never seek to rise above our brothers and sisters in Christ. For to do so would violate the purpose of the lesson that Jesus gave in the foot washing. And the roughness of pride would be the result. See, pride doesn't really care about others. It just says, I want what I want and I don't care if you get anything out of it. When people ask are asked, what is the number one thing you wish for in this life? They will answer with many different things based upon their perception of personal happiness. But it's actually happiness that they're after. That which they think will make them happy. I mean, the bottom line is that they just they want to be happy. Now, in verses 16 and 17, the Lord gives us a formula for, the, for true happiness that eludes most people and even most Christians. The formula is not one born out of personal ability or intellectual acumen. It comes from the Holy Spirit empowering the believer in Christ to humble themselves and lovingly do what's needed for each other. We've witnessed this many times over the years here at Bethany. Where people come to the aid of their brothers and sisters in this church. But if our Lord has undertaken to do the lowly and humble tasks, we should never think it beneath us to do those tasks ourselves. That's why He said to them, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. This was a favorite saying of the Lord. We find it in several places. John fifteen verse twenty. Remember the word that I said to you: a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they'll perse- persecute me. They'll persecute you. In, in Matthew ten verse twenty four, he said, a master is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Luke six forty again. He makes the same straight statement. In Luke twenty two. For who is greater the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves Is it not the one who reclines at the table but I am among you as one who serves <coughs> It's easy it's easy to be put in the place the seat of honor That's easy It's not so easy to step aside from that and let it to be someone else but this is the road to happiness this is the formula consider yourself low and as nothing have an attitude of humility and just serve others in the love of Christ and you'll be happy Now, let's examine the text in verse 17 for a moment. If you'll notice, it says in 17, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The implication is that they knew these things already. But we're not practicing them because of their vying for first place among each other arguing I've seen this I've seen this split churches left and right across the 44 years of ministry people just wanting what they want and not giving an inch whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Jesus asked them in verse 12, do you understand what I've done in washing your feet? So did they grasp the meaning of His his service to them? To understand and not act on it is not enough. If a person says, Yeah, I understand that I need to be a, a servant. I understand that I need to, to serve others. I, know, I understand that I need to have a humble attitude when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ and love them. I understand that. And then not to do it, that's no good. We must not only get it intellectually, but we must get it actually. The word know in verse 17 is a perfect tense verb. It has the idea of knowing something before, from the past, and that staying with you into the present. So that it doesn't leave you. You knew it, you learned it. And now it's with you. Once we learn that the way of happiness is by serving, we must then endeavor to act as our Lord did, because at the end of that road is happiness. You almost you almost get <clears throat> you almost get the, the happy happy Emotion, before you get to the end of it, but the satisfaction of knowing that you have helped someone in need, whatever the need is, large or small, and been obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, there is no greater happiness than that. Now, wrapped up in the word blessed or blessed, which means happy. That's what the word, when you see the word blessed are you, that means happy. Jesus used it over and over in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Happy are the poor in spirit. Wrapped up in that word is life, joy, and satisfaction, in the grace of God. You see, this comes by the grace of God. You can't manufacture it yourself. Now, the world this is what the world tries to do. This is what ph- philanthropists in the world do. People who have money and they give to charities or they give to, to people in need. And they'll give out of the abundance of their wealth. They'll give to these things. And... It makes them feel good, but it's coming from them. It's purely human. I'm not talking about a purely human thing here. I'm talking about the grace of it that comes from Christ. It is a grace that we're given in life as a believer. This joy-filled life finds happiness in other spheres of the Spirit too. But it is significant that this is the first thing that Jesus taught His disciples after He ended His public ministry and all of the things that He did for people. He teaches them that this is the way Christians live their life and walk with Him. So the idea and the teaching of knowing and doing, experience, and experiencing a happy life is taught throughout the New Testament. Listen to it. Luke chapter 11, verse 28. He said, Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Happy are people who hear God's word and do it. In James chapter 1, James says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you're just hearing it and you're agreeing, you say, yeah, that's right, that's right. Pastor Mark, you're right. This is exactly what I believe. And you don't do it, you've deceived yourself. For anyone that is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be happy in his doing. Blessed in his doing. That's the same word Jesus used in verse 17. The truth of this principle holds true even among the unbelieving. People who do deeds of, of, uh, of help and philanthropy in, in life, they, they get a happy feeling out of it, no doubt. There are many unbelievers that are happier when they're helping people, but the happiness is short lived because it is done in the flesh and has no eternal dividend. When the praise or the notoriety of those deeds cease, they cease. They do it because of the recognition. Now, we are not made happy so much by what we know as we are in what we do about what we know. Of course, this applies to much across the pages of biblical knowledge. And as a practical application to this teaching, the doing is never clouded, listen carefully, never clouded by personal feelings or past offenses, but is motivated by godly love. That means that that person who offended you, when they need something, by the grace of God given to you, you would help them regardless of your feelings. John Mitchell writes, Jesus has washed the feet of Peter who will deny Him, of Thomas who will doubt Him, and of Judas who will betray Him. And we ought to do the same. Now, I want to close with some thoughts on, about the service the Lord performed for His disciples and what it teaches us. Number one, or first, our Lord's washing of the disciples' feet was service. It was the work of a slave. And we need to take that on board ourselves. Second, our Lord's washing of the disciples' feet was a necessary and beneficial service. In other words, it met a crucial need in the life of His disciples. Third, our Lord's washing of the disciples' feet was a menial service. Do you know most of the service that you do for others will be menial? It'll be small, be low. It won't be something that anybody will recognize. It's not like pulling somebody out of a burning car. Fourth, our, our Lord's service of washing the disciples' feet was a voluntary act motivated by love. Jesus was not fulfilling some Old Testament prophecy by washing the disciples' feet. He was teaching them a lesson of love and what it looks like to love. Next, our Lord's service of washing the disciples' feet was a task which someone else could have done. He could have commanded someone else to do it. He could, have, he could have had a slave there just for that purpose. But he intentionally had no slave there so that he could show them what it looked like to be a slave to each other. Our Lord's service of washing his disciples' feet was a gracious ministry to those who were undeserving and even to him who would betray him. And our Lord's service was meeting the meeting of a need that no one else was willing to meet. It was a service that does not appear to be very spiritual or very significant. Which brings us back to the menial part of this. How many times are we called on to do that which is not popular? Or that which is not prominent or easy? Or even profitable? Or mundane? These mediocre tasks. Last of all, our Lord's service was selfless. Sacrificial service selfless. So what are we to do with this? How are we to implement this into our own lives as believers in Christ? How are we to do that? First, make a commitment to the Lord to begin washing the feet of others. I'm not talking about literally. Although I'm sure that there have been times when that has been a need among believers. This part is your taking up the cross, denying yourself, and following Jesus. Second, you don't have to look for this kind of ministry opportunity. It will find you. There are always needs people have. You won't be able to meet all of them. But you can meet some of them. Because God has designed you to meet them. He's given you the grace to meet them. Next, in order to fulfill it, we must take our eyes off of ourselves and gird ourselves with the mind of Christ, which we see in this text. Jesus Donned himself with the towel of a slave. And last, we need to focus our attention on those undone things which we have come to expect someone else to do. How many times have you heard it? Oh, somebody else will get that. Somebody else will do that. And then things go undone that we should have done by the grace of God. The washing of the disciples' feet captures the mind of Christ in a most practical way. We are commanded to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let's have the mind of Christ... And look for opportunities to serve each other, to meet needs, and to love each other as our Lord has commanded us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this uh, Lord's Day. We thank You for the opportunity to come together and to worship and to, to be here together. And Lord, in this this building there are just a multiplied number of needs among people. Help us to be sensitive, to listen, and to take upon ourselves uh, the opportunity to be of help and to meet needs and to lower ourselves and to lift someone else up higher than we are. Because that's what our Lord did. And that's what He has commanded us to do. And when we do that, we will not be hearers of the Word only. But we will be doers of it. And we will be happy. Because it will be a happiness that comes from doing the will of God like Christ did. As we pray and ask in Jesus' name, Amen.